Yeah, so today we're looking at the parable of the sower. I think it's a fairly well-known parable. Uh, I think we'll come across it at different times. Um, you know, I think I use it in schools, you know, doing different things. Tim, who's a teacher who's, who's often here, said he did it at his harvest uh, service last week. So, um, yeah, I think uh, people are normally quite familiar with this one. But as we, uh, we'll just have a quick skip through Mark chapter 4 to pick out something that I think Jesus says is really important to start off with. I think it's this. Jesus says, listen. So, if you've got your Bibles open, Mark chapter 4, verse 3, he starts off with, listen. It's got an exclamation mark in, so he says, listen. So, it's, yeah, that's what it's saying. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 9, find it? Then it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Basically, listen. Um, verse 23, over the page. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen. And then, verse 33, near the end, it says, uh, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Um, In another translation of the Bible, that says, as they were able to hear. So basically, I think, through this chapter of Mark's Gospel, through Jesus' teaching, he is saying to, to the people that are listening, he's saying, listen which is fairly straightforward from those few verses, Jesus is really keen that people are willing to listen. And I don't think he's saying it, oh, please listen to me. That would be really nice if you listen to me. I think he's kind of going, listen, this is what I've got to tell you. It's important that you listen. And I think you know, that's a, you know, it's, it's good, isn't it? Sometimes we need people to say, actually, this is important. Like, clear out your ears. Take careful attention. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to the people that listen. When I thought about that, though, when I thought about this idea of listening, I thought, actually, personally, particularly when I was a bit younger, Hannah would say now still, I've not always been brilliant at listening. Um, it's not been always at like the top of my agenda, listening carefully. And the first instance that like cropped, like sprung to mind when I thought of this was when I was in year six, and I was about this big, I imagine, around there, could be a six of that size. And, um, and it was my year six SATs, like the end of primary school exams that we all do. And I'd been um, you know, doing my English, like writing things, and, and you had the option, you either wrote a story, or you wrote some kind of factual, I think it was some instructions or something like that. They were the choice to write a story, or write some instructions. Um, and I've never been one really for reading fiction at all, I just can't really get on with it. Um, I never really read anyway as a child. Um, I don't read that much now. I have to force myself to really get into the books. Um, and I thought, well, I've always quite... In, I, I bet, I'm better at the kind of writing the facts stuff. Um, apart from at parents' evening, my teacher had told my parents that if he writes a story, he's much likely to get a better mark. So my teacher had told me that I should write the story. My parents had then told me that my dad was a teacher. He said, you should do that. You know, you'll get a better mark. Well, I didn't write the story because I knew what was best. I didn't listen... And I didn't get the mark that they thought I was going to get, so I thought I'd uh, just tell you that. Because uh, I didn't listen, and it didn't pay off for me in the end. The other thing is, in this parable, there's a good reason I think Jesus wants people to listen carefully. And that is because every single person is somewhere in this parable. So when Jesus is teaching it, nobody's left out. It's not, he's not talking to just the disciples, or just the Pharisees, or something like that. He's talking 
And in this parable, everyone is in there somewhere. But also, just to give you a bit of background, um, before we get into the parable itself, previously in Mark chapters 2 and 3, Jesus faced some opposition. And I think this parable links in nicely with the opposition that's just kind of gone before it. So the first obvious opposition we see here is from the Pharisees. Um, just trying to find... Um, in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus heals the paralytic, the Pharisees aren't a big fan. Towards the end of that, they decide that they don't like him. Jesus says he can forgive sins, and they decide between themselves what they want to do to Jesus is kill him. And I think most of the time, everyone has a type of Jesus that they want. And for the Pharisees, the type of Jesus they wanted was a dead Jesus. They wanted him out of the way. They wanted him gone. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one was the crowds. So the crowds followed him around. Jesus had done some miracles. And they, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. If somebody came to Rotherham and started doing miracles, healing people, all this sort of thing, people would flock to them and they loved it. So the crowds, they wanted all the healings. They wanted the miracles. The Jesus they wanted was like a miracle man. They wanted Jesus, the Mr. Miracle Worker. And that's what they wanted. They wanted the kind of, you know, amazing things that Jesus was doing but not necessarily uh, listening to. And then there's Jesus' family. Now you might think, well, how could Jesus possibly have any opposition within his family? Um, but I have a brother. Jesus had some brothers. People have brothers and sisters. And sometimes when your brother or sister is being nice and good and doing things that are right, um, you can just get wound up by them. And actually Jesus' family gets embarrassed by him because of what he's doing. Just stop it. You've got all the crowds following you. They all know that we're your family. Can you just give us a bit of peace as well? So they get a bit embarrassed by him. So I think the Jesus that his family wanted was a nice and quiet Jesus. And sometimes um, I think churches have that desire to have a nice, quiet Jesus as well. And the last one is his disciples. Um, Jesus appoints his disciples and he, and he actually gets them working in Mark chapter 3. gets them doing different things. And his disciples listened. They obeyed Jesus and actually they were fruitful in what they did. And the Jesus they wanted was they wanted Jesus to be their teacher and to be their master. And the one thing that shocked, shocked me as I looked through the, uh, the different responses Jesus had was that he had opposition and Jesus' response to opposition wasn't fight or flight. It was teach. He would stand there and he would teach these people who were opposed to him in different groups, whatever group they were in, he would stand and he would teach, or he would sit and he would teach them. He wasn't going to fight. He wasn't going to run away. He was going to teach them. That wouldn't have been my response. Um, if, you know, I'd have probably run, because you know, it's just easier than getting into a fight. But Jesus didn't do either. He taught them. So, let's jump on into this parable. So, the four different types of soil in this parable. The parable is called the, the parable of the sower. Now, if you uh, if you look in your Bible, you'll find that there are lots of words in there and lots of numbers. And and in these in the Red Church Bibles, the stuff that's in bold, like the little title headings, um, so there's like the parable of the sower, big number four. Then the little numbers like one, two, three, four, those ones, those things are not divinely inspired. The numbers are put in by the monks and different. Um, Bible translations have little different titles, but they're the words of the Bible. They're the ones that come from God. And I say that because 
I don't think the title of this parable makes the most sense, Parable of the Sower, because last week Ian spoke about the parable of the, the, the wise and foolish builder, and that was a story about the wise and the foolish builder. The week before we had the parable of the wedding banquet, and that was a story about a wedding banquet. Here is the parable of the sower, but it's really a story about the soils and the seed. So, I think that's what it's really about. So we'll look at the different soils. There's only one sower, and he just gets about his business, and everything else is a comment from that. So, firstly, we have the different types of soil. The first one was the, the path, like really solid ground. But apparently, in ancient times, there'd be kind of common ground they'd use for planting and growing their crops and harvesting it. And they'd be split up kind of uh, patch for growing, path, patch for growing, path, because people would walk up and down them. They'd be able to sort their crops out from the side. And they were kind of just commonly used. And they were rock hard. And I was thinking about this. If you had something rock hard like a path and you chuck some seed on it, what's going to happen? It's just going to bounce and stay there. There's no way, unless you were like the Hulk, that you could throw seed into a path and it would go in and actually have an effect. You'd have to throw it really hard to do that. But you just cast this seed and they just bounce and they sit on top of the soil. Because of that it can't go in, it can't get hold of any of the moisture, it can't get hold of any nutrients, and it can't grow. So ultimately, a seed that lands on the path has no effect and it bears no fruit whatsoever. So the next one is the rocky soil. Now the rocky soil isn't like a rockery because you grow things in rockeries and this isn't what happens in this parable when I was looking through uh, the commentators they said that apparently the kind of soil that Jesus would be talking about at that time um, they would know about because they all kind of grew different sorts of crops but there'd be like an inch of topsoil that all looked nice and good but underneath there'd be like a limestone layer that couldn't really get through the water would drain through it but the plants wouldn't be able to get their roots down beyond it and, and get the nutrients that they needed so it wasn't like a rockery it was this kind of soil like limestone shelf that was there but when the seed was cast on it it did manage to go in because the soil was a bit soft on top um, it could get hold of a bit of water a little bit of nutrients and it sprang up and that I imagine I don't know if you've ever grown anything in your garden or in your house but when you see the first like shoots of the thing that you planted growing it's just a great feeling you think this is going to work and I'm going to get loads of I don't know, strawberries or whatever it is. We, we've got some strawberry plants and every time a runner comes out kind of plants it and another strawberry plant grows. If you like sow things and they start to grow you think this is going to be a good year's crop. However, these seeds, they sprang up. They couldn't get the lasting water, the lasting nutrients that they needed. And when the sun came up they were scorched, they withered and they died. So long, like long term, they had no effect whatsoever other than giving a bit of false hope to the sower. I'd be really annoyed if I'd gone into the garden and sowed loads of stuff and it sprang up and thought this is going to be a great year. Then actually the sun comes up and it all dies. I'd be really, really annoyed about that. And there'd be no fruit from it whatsoever. Then the third one of the soils is the thorny soil. Um, we said the, the seeds are cast into the, the soil and as they grow up, there's like weeds there and they suck up all the water, all the nutrients. They spring up a bit but then they're choked. Everything around them takes all the water, all the moisture that they, they need and, um, and they suffer, they can't get enough light and they die. They as well give no fruit whatsoever. For the last one, 
the good soil. Uh, it's the good one, as it's named. And that's the soil that's been worked. It's ready to be planted in. There's plenty of water. There's plenty of goodness there for it. And they, they sow into it. And it produces a fruit. And Jesus says in this parable that it produces 30, 60, or even 100 times how that been sown. Apparently back then you would like look for kind of five, six, seven times what it was sown. This is an unbelievable yield that Jesus is talking about. Although apparently in Babylon, like hundreds of years before, they would boast things of 500 times the yield. Um, but that's probably just lies um, because they like to say everything was amazing in Babylon. But um, but I have no definite evidence to say it was lies. So it could be true. So that's the, that was the first bit. So that's the four different types of soils that Jesus gives in this parable. But I think Jesus doesn't just tell them a story about soil and sowing. He's saying that each one of these soils represents the hearts of the people that are listening. So as we read through it today, Every one of us is included in this parable. Somehow, one of these soils represents our hearts. So one of these is you, and one of these is me. So the first one was the path that Jesus talked about, the one that's been trodden and it's hard. Um, as you saying, some people, your hearts are like, a solid path as the, the seed is sown it just kind of bounces off there's no way that the seed can get into your heart if it's been trodden and it's solid and it's just not ready to accept it and then Jesus goes on to say that he explains the parable if I'd marked the verse that would have been much more sensible There it is, found it. it says, uh, some people like to see uh, on the, along the path uh, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. So it takes away the word that, that was sown in them. So God says, there's this seed sown in their lives, but it just lands on them like the path. It doesn't go in, and the birds come along, and they gobble it up. Satan comes along, and he takes away the good gift that he is trying to give the people. And I think some of, sometimes these people can be ones they might sit in church and they might look around and they might see somebody who's like on the edge of their seat who's thinking, you know, when somebody reads the Bible, they, they beam and they smile and, and they look at this person and they think, I just don't get it. Why are they happy to be sat in church? I, don't, I just don't understand why they're, they're enjoying it. I, I, I don't get on with it at all. And they can't understand why people are moved by what Jesus has done and how, uh, yeah, how they could be at all. I mean, this could possibly be people here this morning that they see people in church every week and you think I have no idea why you go why you go there every week just, you know, I don't get it just don't get it why do you go, I mean I, I, I'm brought, I have to be here I don't get why you come out of your free will that could be if your heart is like the path that could be your response and if that is you then from Jesus' parable he's saying that and you're not Christian and that in your life for God you'll bear no fruit 
So then the second one that Jesus talks about is like the rocky soil. This is the one where there's a bit of topsoil and then the kind of shelter of limestone. And as it goes in, it springs up, but then has no lasting effect. And I think you sometimes see this with different people. And it's basically Jesus says, um, after that others, others uh, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is people that, that get hold of the word, they listen to it, they think, you know what, this is absolutely amazing. And then they just think, oh, I want to do everything for Jesus that is absolutely possible. Whatever it is, I want to do it. And they get really involved and really excited and they think, oh, I love the Bible, I read it morning, lunch, tea, whenever possible, I get into it and I read it and I'm really excited. And then they start telling their friends and then their friends go, oh, go to church. But do people still do that? And they kind of think, oh, Oh, maybe, oh, maybe it's a bit weird. Maybe I don't want this trouble at all. So you you read your Bible and you pray. Well, uh, no. And then Jesus says, people who kind of spring up and immediately receive it with joy, as soon as something difficult comes along, they give up. And the reason Jesus says they give up is because they haven't got any roots that have sunk down into Him. I think there are different ways that this can be quite challenging. Um, I think sometimes people at work, they can find it difficult. And sometimes they could say, actually, I'd rather not have the hassle at work, but I'll just give up on my faith. Sometimes it can be difficulties at school, where people uh, tell their friends that they're Christians and they don't want to face the mocking that they might get for that. Sometimes I think it can even happen inside the church. If somebody's done something wrong, and somebody challenges them on their sin, and they think, actually... I don't want to be in a church where somebody's going to tell me that I'm doing something wrong. I'd rather not have any of the, the problems and I'll just go. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes you hear stories like that and it's really, really upsetting. I think sometimes people just want the kind of perfect peace Christianity. If they want to, they're going to have Jesus. They want to have Jesus and no problems whatsoever. Because that, that would be ideal. If you became a Christian and there were no problems, I think every church in the land would be absolutely heathen. But that's not the opportunity that, that Jesus gives. And I think ultimately at least these are the kind of uh, people Jesus says who are who are insecure. They've not got roots that go down deep into him. They don't have a real good understanding of who Jesus is and they don't really understand how much he's worth in the times of trouble. They're, they're severed from all the source of God's goodness and his grace to us. And I think ultimately some commentators and theologians differ on this um, but I think these people as well are not Christians and they bear no fruit. So the first ones are the people who have the seed sown on the path Satan comes and takes it away They're those people who are definitely not Christians this group people who have rocky soil who immediately spring up with joy and then as soon as trials come and persecution comes they fall away I think they're not Christians as well because ultimately they bear no fruit for Jesus and he goes on to the next one. He says, Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in, choke the word, making it unfruitful. So this is the, the third one to have a path. 
a rocky soil, and then this is the thorny soil. It says that these are the people who, when they receive the word that God has given them, they kind of grow up in it and they accept it, but then other things from in the world start to tempt them and to take them away from God. As I was reading through some of the books on this, I came across this quote that I had to read like three or four times to actually understand it in my own head. And it's this, it says, The worst enemy of the best is the second best. The worst enemy of the best is the second best. And in this commentary he's saying, sometimes we're happy to give up the best thing for the second best thing because it's easier. Sometimes we're not going to work really hard and get the best thing that we can have because getting second best is easier. And he's saying, basically, these could be people who say, I accept, I, you know, I want to, I want to believe in God, but, and I, and I could spend time with God and read my Bible, but I've got other things I could be doing. You know, I've got, I've got shopping to do, or, or I've got, I've got to clean the carpet, or I've, I've got to, you know, I've got to rearrange my CDs in, in alphabetical order. You know, whatever it is, they think I could spend time with God, but I've got this to do. Or I know I could go to, I know church is important, but if I do another shift at Marks and Spencers, they'll pay me time and a half on a Sunday, so. I, could do that. You can worship God anywhere, so so I'll just you know I get time and a half on a Sunday, so it's worth doing that instead. And you know it's tricky, then, isn't it? Because people struggle yeah, with those things, and and the deceitfulness of wealth, this idea that money will bring us happiness, can uh, take us away from God. And I think there's another sort of people as well that are, are represented in this group, and these are people who have another saviour that isn't Jesus. They think that something else will uh, can bring them happiness. They'll think, if I can just get this job or this promotion at work, or if I can just uh, get get this amount of money, then I'll be happy, and then I'll be able to sort out my, my life with Jesus. Or if I can just get this house, if I can just get this car, if I can just have the perfect children, if I can, um, you know, whatever it is, then I'll, then I'll be able to sort myself out, and then I'll you know I'll work on my, my church stuff then, and my Jesus stuff then. But until I've got myself all sorted, you know, I want to make sure all these things are right. So sometimes these different things become people's saviour rather than Jesus. So the first challenge on those people, for those people is actually there isn't another saviour. Only Jesus is the saviour who will actually save you. And then I think there's a kind of third person within this group which is people who think that I can be a saviour to other people. By oh, the way, we'll do this as I'll, you know, I'll get involved in every like concern going and, and I'll start you know, I'll start putting all my energy into, you know, save the, I know, cats from fleas. You know, I'll get print off the banners and I'll, I'll march in the high street. Let's, you know, do all these sorts of things, helping out other people. But ultimately, those things take them away from God. They put all their effort and energy into things that aren't as good. And Jesus says that these people also bear no fruit. I think Jesus says these people also are people who aren't Christians. They haven't got Jesus as their saviour. Well, then there's the last soil, and um, that's the good soil. Soil, so it's hearts that are like the good soil. People that hear God's message, who accept it, who believe it. I have realised, but I haven't told you what that is. We've talked about the seed, and people like it's been sown into people's lives, and them listening to it and accepting it, and not. But I've not told you what it is, and I think the seed here that Jesus is talking about is the simple understanding of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. And what he's saying is, 
simple truth is, I'm the only person that can help you. Because every one of you is like dirt. Each one of us. It's not, I think Jesus is the only person that can say this to us, really, and get away with it. Uh, because if anyone else told you that you were like dirt, you probably would have an issue with it. But Jesus said, look, every one of you is like dirt. You're like soil. But only one kind of soil will respond properly. He says, and if you want the bear fruit, if you want to do something good in this life, you need somebody from the outside to come in and help you. You can't do it on your own. And that's because you've all done things that are wrong. The Bible says that we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that are totally going against God. Every part of our life we do things that displease God. And Jesus says, do you know what? I haven't done that. And I'm willing to take on all your mistakes. And I'll go and bear them on the cross. So that when God looks at you, all those things you've done wrong can be taken away. And when God looks at you, he sees somebody who's as holy and perfect and just as I am. And if you accept that and you ask for forgiveness of those things, then I will take all your sin. I will separate it as far as east is from the west. I will take it from you and it will be dealt with forever. You'll never have to worry about any of it ever again. And Jesus says, when somebody gets hold of that message, it's like the seed is planted into good soil. That seed goes in and their hearts are ready. They take on board what God has said. In Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke tells this parable as well. Um, he gets his, apparently he gets his source from Mark, so he read it from Mark. But in it, he, he says in Luke uh, 8.15, I'll just flick to it and read it so I get it right. The way that Luke explains this bit, he says, But the seed on good soil, on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. You hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Uh, the words noble and good, they can come out as hold fast with an honest and good heart. And I think basically what Luke is saying there, and what Mark is saying, if you agree with God on your situation, if you're really honest about who you are, what you've done, then you'll realise that maybe you're not as perfect as you think you are. And if you're honest about it, you need some help from the outside. And with that idea of honesty that, that Luke gives, I think it brings along the idea of repentance, saying, actually, I agree with God. I haven't done everything that I should have done. I've not. I've made mistakes here, there, and everywhere. And actually, I can't really help myself because I've, I've made all these mistakes, and I'll, if I try and do it again better, I'll still make the same mistakes again. So Jesus says, look, if you want, you can repent, you can turn to me, you can leave your old life behind, you can have a new life with me, and that will be different. You'll still make mistakes, but every time I'll forgive you and I'll help you along. So if we're going to repent of the things that we've done wrong, firstly, we have to agree with God that our situation is as bad as he says it is. Basically, I think the people who repent are the only people who realise that they're like they're dirt, but that amazing things can be grown in it. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, actually, to get good soil, we've got we've got soil in our back garden, and it's not all good. Um, before we planted some stuff in it, I went in and I was pulling out some of the weeds before we planted our beetroot crop, which was bumper this year. So that was fine. Um, I was pulling out the weeds, and as I was doing it, I was thinking, man, I have more respect 
and more fear now for sin than I did before. Literally, as I was pulling them out, I oh, they, they just break all the time. You pull them out and they leave a little bit in, and if you don't go in there and get it, it grows up and it's another weed. And the Bible talks about sin sometimes in that kind of idea. And I think for us as Christians, if we want to be the good soil, this might mean that God is going to have to do a difficult work in our life to help us to become the people he wants us to be. It might be, it might feel like God has ploughed us, ultimately. You might think, this is going to be really tough, but God promises that he'll help us. It might be that God is going to weed things out of our lives, things that we've kind of done for years and years and years, that we've never really thought anything of. But God might challenge you, he might say, you know that, that thing that you think, oh, it's not that bad, that's something that I don't really like. And God might start to weed things out of our lives. And it's not a painless experience. And sometimes those weeds, like they did in our garden, they can go really deep. And I think for God sometimes he can work on those things. And I know people who've, who've said, yeah, I, before as a Christian I used to do this. I felt God really challenged me on it. And, and I've actually given it up and I'm really thankful that I have. I think that's just an amazing testament, a testimony to what God can do in people's lives. And for this, this soil... The soil that was prepared, that was ready, it was honest about what it was. The result was fruit. And not just a little bit, not just kind of, you know, an ear of corn grew from, from one seed, but 30, 60, or 100 times uh, that, that was originally sown. And I think this is the only one in the bunch that is the Christian. So let's just briefly touch on this fruit that Jesus talks about. What is the fruit? Well, firstly, it only comes from the good soil. And it only comes through the word of God. And we get to it by believing and trusting the Bible about Jesus. We learn all about Jesus through the Bible. And we believe it and we um, follow what it says. And what is the fruit that Jesus produces in us? Well, I think the fruit that Jesus produces in our lives is whatever God wants it to be. I don't think it's like prescriptive. I don't think this fruit will, it says if you're a Christian, you in your life will be party to making 30, 60 or 100 disciples. I don't think that's what it's in. I think Jesus says, look, if you are a Christian and you are bearing fruit for me, the fruit that you will bear will be whatever God wants it to be. Whether that's God gives you an amazing gift of sharing the gospel with people and they start coming to faith left, right and centre, then that's amazing. Or your uh, fruit might be you might be really busy during the week. You know, people that, that are doctors that, that are really busy, they might spend all their, their week working and have so little time, but they might say, do you know what? I can't make it to this meeting or that meeting, but I'm going to be willing to give really sacrificially and then their money can be ploughed into doing different things and they can share the gospel while they're at work. And God can use each and every one of us in a different way to produce fruit. But all of that comes through trusting and doing what he asks us to do. So I thought I would ask this one question. or not ah, I will ask this question as we finish now my question is are you growing are you bearing fruit if you look at your own life what does it look like are you seeing fruit in your own life for, for God and there are two answers to that yes or no because it's a yes or no question um, I think so if you look at your life and you think, am I going, am I bearing fruit for God in my life? And you think the answer is yes, then I think there are some things that you can do. 
Firstly, you can worship God and you can thank him for the fact that he's actually he's willing to use you. I think it's amazing that God gives us the ability to, to work with him on doing different things. If you think as God is the person who created the world, who is, who is perfect, he's holy, he's just, he has the power to, to speak and things happen, and he's willing to use you or me to do his work in this world, you can just worship him and thank him so much for that, because that's a massive privilege that he's given us. Second thing is we can ask God to provide us with more faith that we'll be willing to go further for him. We can ask him to help us to be more and more obedient to what he asks us to do. And we can ask him to give us more and more joy in doing it. So that's the first one. Or if you think the answer is no, I'm not growing, I'm not really bearing fruit. The first challenge is to be honest with yourself and think actually, am I a Christian? If not, Jesus says the way to do that is to repent, to agree with God's like diagnosis of your situation, which is that we're all dirt, but only with Jesus' help can fruit come from that. If we agree with God and we turn from our sin and we ask Jesus for forgiveness, he'll do an amazing work in all of our lives, and it'll be different depending on who we are. So if the answer is yes, worship God and thank him for what he's done. If the answer is no, the challenge is to repent and believe in Jesus. Have your sins forgiven and bear fruit in the future. So I'll pray and then we'll sing a final song. Father, we thank you for uh, this story that Jesus told. Father, we thank you that Jesus told these stories and parables because they're, they're easy to listen to and they're simple to remember. Father, I thank you that um, yeah, that they, they help us to understand more of you and more of what you want to do with us. Father, I pray that you would help us to be really honest about our own situation, about our own hearts, about whether we're growing and bearing fruit for you. Father, I pray that today you would help us to, to really um, yeah, really examine ourselves and ask those questions of are we growing, are we bearing fruit? Am I really a Christian or do I do, I do things just because I've always done them all or I'm dragged along to church? Father, I pray that also for, for those people who believe in you, trust in you, who love Jesus. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith and our obedience and our joy in him. And Father, for people who aren't, Father, I pray that you would um, just touch their, touch their lives and their situations and Father, let them see that, that Jesus is the only way to know you, to repent and believe in your word and to believe in Jesus, your son. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, yeah, to bear fruit for you as a church and as individuals. Amen. Oh,